baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning and we're pleased to be joined by UConn Health Child and Adolescent Psychiatrist, Dr. Yifra Kaminer. He studies addiction and risk behaviors and he is here this morning to talk with us about e-cigarette use among adolescents. We've seen the headlines that it is a growing problem, and Dr. Kaminer is here to tell us how big a problem it is. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning. We've seen the news about the number of high schoolers taking up vaping. How big an issue is it? It is a huge public health issue. As a matter of fact, in terms of statistics, this is the most impressive jump in terms of use. For example, from 2017 to 2018, the latest information we have, there have been a jump of 80% in the use of um, e-cigarettes uh, among adolescents. In terms of percentage, it translates that from 11% last 2017 and now about approximately 20% of adolescents have been using e-cigarettes in the last year. Do we know if they are starting a new habit or are they transitioning from traditional cigarettes? Okay. Most of them actually starting a new habit. How do we know that? Because uh, we've seen a consistent decrease in the use of nicotine, you know, particularly cigarette smoking that reached a very low level in 2011, which, by the way, has been the year that the use of cannabis Marana has superseded the use of nicotine. So what's happening is that many, many kids do not approve the use of good, quote-unquote, old cigarettes. However, they got very excited about this new delivery system that's called e-cigarette, which is composed actually of a pod of a, or a cartridge that you put in a little device that you use for vaping, Vaping is different from smoking uh, because smoking is burning uh, tobacco. Vaping at about 400 degrees more or less. Vaping is something you can do at around 200 uh, degrees plus. And as we know that uh, part of the allure of vaping is that there are different flavors. And there are kind of fruity flavors. They get uh, very catchy names like vanilla, uh, the mango flavor, and definitely uh, the sweet flavors uh, make adolescents find it very appealing. And also it's considered to be cool. Again, the cool factor is so important. Smoking cigarettes has not been cool for a while. So this is a new venue. And one of them, 
major concerns before we got into the epidemic of morbid and, and, and mortal effects of the use was that studies have found that approximately 50% of the kids who are vaping would eventually end up also smoking cigarettes. So we kind of tried to kick the habit through the door and it came back through the window in a different disguise. We know that there are severe health problems, lung disease associated with vaping. That's an ailment that's sweeping the country. Are there any other impacts related to mind, judgment, behavior, especially when we're talking about adolescence? If we were to meet to have this interview six months ago, we would have known nothing about lethality and morbidity because there were no reports. The landscape has changed dramatically in the last three months, and I think right now we are over 2,000 cases of this, what's called lipoid pneumonia, and more than 40 lethal cases, including a couple of cases already that adolescents have gone through lung transplant in order to save their life. Now, in terms of judgment, um, it does not affect judgment per se because of the use of it. But as we know, adolescent brain matures uh, kind of late, only around age 25. And what it means is that during this period of adolescence and early adulthood, let's call it from puberty, 12, 13 to 25, um, impulsivity and sensation seeking are very high. And when there is this kind of uh, clash between wanting to get a reward, which comes from some deep structure in the brain, what we call the limbic system, and decision-making, responsible behavior, and so forth, which is actually being um, developed in the cortex. Um, the area in the cortex responsible for responsible decision-making is still under construction. And that's why adolescents are prone to a lot of behavior like number one killer is road uh, crashes, number two suicide, number three homicide. So using all kind of new stimulating um, devices, products, behavior is definitely something that adolescents will go after. We know, as you noted, that the system that evaluates risk versus reward is not fully developed in adolescence. Do we know how quickly a teenager can become hooked on vaping products? Is it faster than traditional cigarettes? I don't have an answer to this, but as you just mentioned, we know that all it takes is three to five cigarettes. Nicotine is a very addictive substance to make an adolescent hooked on cigarettes, hooked on nicotine, and it creates certain pathways in the brain, and those habits becomes addiction that are very difficult to get rid of, even if you have the incentive to do that, because uh, the imprints in the brain uh, and the demand, the relentless demand of the reward system is very uh, difficult to deny, particularly when the brain is not totally matured. And it's similarly, actually with adults, of substance use disorders or become addicted, they are actually in the same position that although they know that it is not in their benefit to keep on using drugs, 
it is extremely important for them to stop using. And even after they've stopped using, all kind of cues from the environment make them vulnerable. And they stimulate um, a behavior that they cannot resist because it's already inbred in the brain. And all uh, this behavior needs is a wake-up call. And that's the tragic aspects of uh, quote-unquote willpower issues. Why is it so difficult? As you discuss in your new book, Clinical Manual of Youth Addictive Disorders, children cannot be treated as essentially miniature adults when you're approaching addiction. What are some of the methods that might work better for kids than for adults? I think that working with adolescents is very challenging. On the other hand, it's also very rewarding. It's rewarding because you try to intervene as early as possible and not after they have had so many problems in life that affected uh, their health, uh, their family ties, their employment, schooling, and so forth. The challenge is, as we all know, that because we were adolescents, although some of my patients don't believe that I w- was an adolescent, they think I was born like, like this, uh, is that they do not recognize it as a problem. And they use the old adage, I can stop whenever I want, but we know that this does not work this way. So the issue is how first to bring them to treatment, engage them in treatment, help them acquire coping skills that would allow them to not use drugs at high-risk situations uh, where there's peer pressure, it's a party, everybody's doing it. So that's definitely um, very challenging. Um, And uh, the investment in adolescent is quite high um, because probably first time around in treatment, only about 30 or 40% of them will become abstinent. About 30 or 40% might improve, meaning in terms of frequency and dosage and uh, negative consequences, and another third probably will not do much better. So the question is, A, how do we maintain the gains made among those who are rapid responders that, by the way, also have a better prognosis? And maybe more importantly from a public health perspective is how to deal with the poor responders because they'll keep on having more and more cycle of addictive behaviors that during this cycle they may cause damage to themselves or others and also feel that there's no way out, basically, they're entrapped. And one of the major problems is substance use disorder as well as other mental disorders. And many of them go together because 70 of adolescents with substance use disorder have at least one co-occurring psychiatric disorder, which can be depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, attention deficit disorder, and so forth, is um, may result in suicidal behavior. And this is one of the basically major reasons for death among people who are substance use disordered. And I know we're not talking about opioids right now, but part of the OD epidemic uh, probably can be attributed to suicidal behavior. We will talk about opioids in a bit, but addressing the issue of vaping, yeah. say you're a parent and you know your your kid is using e-cigarettes, what's the best way to bring it up that will result in a positive outcome? 
because we know with adolescents often a parent tells them to do one thing and they do the opposite. Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, um, I started to get phone calls from parents, and it goes like this. My son is panicking. Unbeknown to us, he has been vaping, and now when he heard about the casualties, the morbidity and mortality related to it, he got depressed, he feels for his life, and he wants treatment. So that's the only silver lining of what's happening right now, that adolescents who don't listen to adults have realized that some of their friends, and you know, the publicity is huge, uh, who are doing what they're doing, have caused themselves um, terminal morbidity. And so that's definitely does part of the work because suddenly they won't see it as a normative behavior. And unfortunately, with adolescents, there's the cool and uncool drugs. Like it's cool to smoke cannabis, it's not cool to smoke cigarettes. Maybe it's cool to vape, but it's not cool to use um, cocaine. It's cool to use mollies, ecstasy, and so forth, but it's not cool to take some other agents. So definitely, the first issue is awareness. They need to be aware of these problems, and they're most probably are. They're very smart. They know what's going on. Secondly, parents should forbid kids from smoking at home, and I'm sure many of them do it anyway. Kids won't do it. And if they know that their kids are vaping or smoking or using any kind of drugs, it's worthwhile to address the issue with them and ask them, okay, where we are heading with this? Um, and not anybody who is using need to go into treatment right away, but definitely you can see those who start to uh, demonstrate some dysfunctional behavior. They don't get up to school. Um, they don't do what they're supposed to do. Uh, they break uh, curfews. They, dr they drive under the influence or with kids who are using. And by the way, driving under the influence of cannabis is as bad as driving under the influence of alcohol. And if you mix both of them together, it's really bad. We know the statistics, road uh, statistic from states who legalized recreational use of marijuana that show almost a 100% increase in lethal road crashes compared to a decrease in road crashes among those who have not been using. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Dr. Yifra Kaminer. He is a Yukon Health child and adolescent psychiatrist. He studies addiction and risk behaviors. As a number of states move to legalize recreational marijuana. Does that kind of remove the stigma of using that drug for adolescents? Unfortunately, it does to some degree. And the result of it is that there is an inverse correlation between the perception of harmfulness of cannabis and the level of use, meaning everybody's using it. It's no big deal. There's no stigma. It doesn't cause any problem because it's quote-unquote medical. Why don't we do that? There's very clear research comparing uh, adolescents in states that have not approved yet recreational use of marijuana versus the state who have approved it that show that um, adolescents in states that have not approved it yet, uh, the, there is close to 20% of them said they will use marijuana once it's, it, it will be legalized. So, And also there's some international studies that show that even decriminalization and, and we're not talking right now whether it's good or bad for the general public, but just the process of decriminalization is causing an increase of five years until it plateaus of 
number of first-time users. Furthermore, not only do you see an increase in first-time users, you see a decrease in the age of onset. And as we know from alcohol, and it's the same with cannabis, the earlier somebody starts to use these drugs, um, the higher is the likelihood that they will become addicted. So for example, if people use cannabis and start it at late adolescence or early adulthood, uh, the chances are one, to, one out of 11 will become addicted, dependent. However, when adolescents do it, it's one out of every five or six will become addicted, meaning that because the brain is still maturing, it's still work in progress, the impact on the brain is much stronger. Similarly to alcohol, people who start to use alcohol before age 14 are seven times more likely to become alcoholics as compared to people who started to use after age 21. So there's a lot of similarities between these drugs in their pathway to addiction. When an adolescent begins to use cannabis, how likely is it that that is going to lead to harder drugs? The reason people are starting to use drugs is because of potential reward, the euphoric effects. And it's a highly heterogeneous population. Not everybody behaves the same way. But when we have adolescents that have some kind of a predisposition or vulnerability, either known or unknown, it's what we call a biopsychosocial effect. There's an environmental effect, and many of those adolescents look, are looking for a better high, a higher high. And cannabis and alcohol are not enough anymore. So the pathway is to prescription drugs, which are painkillers, Vicodin, and so forth. Uh, then, actually, it was called the first wave. Second wave is using heroin. The third wave that we see right now is heroin and or fentanyl, which is a synthetic opioid as compared to heroin that is made out of the poppy seed. And now people are predicting, and we start to see this, the fourth wave, which is opioids combined with stimulants, particularly cocaine. And this is where we're heading right now because if you look at the Medical Examiner of Connecticut information, actually it's open to the public, you see that um, about one-third of lethal cases of use of drugs, cocaine has been found in their system. So we are playing cops and robbers here, and there are dynamic trains that keep on changing all the time. And we don't always expect them. Some of them we can expect. Some of them we can't because ECIG is a new product. And this is the first time that we have encountered this epidemic and its morbid consequences. Last year in Connecticut, I believe there were over a thousand overdose deaths. How True. hard has the opioid epidemic hit the adolescent community? Well, uh, again, in terms of uh, your numbers are accurate, I think last year it was about 1,080. Uh, approximately 10% of them were under the age of 25. And by the way, since we're talking about Connecticut, there's a great variability between different states. Uh, for, for example, in Connecticut, we used to be 3.8 million. The population now, it's about 3.6. And as you mentioned, more than 1,000 people perished due to OD compared to Oklahoma population very similar, 3.8 to 4, they'd add roughly 500. And Nebraska, I think last that I saw, at the lowest figure. I don't know why in such a vast country 
maybe because it's such a vast country, there are, if you will, uh, local or, or, if you will, regional differences. Furthermore, if you allow me, let's compare us to the Europeans. We are in very bad shape. So let's start with Portugal, for example. In Portugal, they have six lethal cases from OD per one million. In France, it's 15 per one million. You move up north, the number rise. In the UK, it's about 50 per one million. You move to Scandinavia, it's between 70 to 90, depends on the country, for one million. You cross the pond in the United States, more than 300 per million. So things are very different here for a variety of reasons, most probably are beyond discussion here, but we are um, not doing a very good job compared to other countries in preventing this epidemic. Now what we have to do is damage control. When it comes to addiction among young people, what would you say are the most important things for parents to know? I think that, uh, maybe it sounds a little sarcastic, but I usually say to parents, try to educate and train your kids as early as possible. (laughs) It needs to be very clear right from the start what behaviors are appropriate, what behaviors are not appropriate. I also think that... um, we need to start um, prevention in elementary school. Middle school is not enough anymore because we see kids who are 10 or 11 who are starting to use cannabis. And in high school, it's too late. I mean, people are already using. Probably you will not be able to persuade them and even say, well, you know, it's illegal. They don't care about these consequences because de facto it is legal in most countries and uh, most states because police usually won't won't get uh, involved. However, getting back to a previous question about recreational, legalization of recreational, it has been found that first-time users, those who have not used yet or to sit on the fence, it's very important to them to know whether it's legal or not. And that's why when you legalize it, basically you send the message to kids, it's all right to use it. And since I'm working with young people and there are a lot of negative consequences of using cannabis, and especially when it, you use it early. The, uh, the earlier you use it, the higher is the likelihood you develop early onset psychosis. Depression, anxiety <coughs> can be the results of drug use, although many times people say we are self-medicating, but what they found out long-term, it's just getting worse. It's kind of spiral. And... Uh, using cannabis affects short-term memory, long-term memory, attention, and other cognitive functions that our kids need to use in school. And sometimes I'm kind of joking and say, look, our kids are usually sleep-deprived because once you hit adole- uh, puberty, your wakefulness, uh, sleep cycles change, and the older kids usually go to school earlier. So the stand-up at, uh, you know, at, at the street corner at 6, 6.30 a.m., totally, you know, drowsy. They go to school, wake up around 12, and go home at 2 or 2.30. They don't have enough time to study when in, in clear mind. And on top of that, if they're using cannabis, it's problematic. And kids who use cannabis in school double their chances, unfortunately, to be high school dropouts. And we know the consequences now of being a dropout from school is it may reduce your life expectancy by 15 years. It will affect your employment, your health, and it's already basically a burden on your next generation of children 
who will be born to parents who actually already are behind in so many functions in life because they've been using during adolescence and a difficulty to finish school. So pound that message into them early is the message. Absolutely. He is Dr. Yifra Kaminer, UConn Health Child and Adolescent Psychiatrist. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.